All right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself. Thank you for coming and joining again, as always, uh, taking the time out of your life to listen to this show, Empowerment, Informed Consent, Massive Change. This is what we're doing here, okay? Um, really, really cool show. I uh, put a lot of work into this one because I wanted to really go into how to empower and what interventions we can do for skin. Skin health, skin health, skin health, and what true skin health means. Not just getting a beauty product or me recommending the top ones, but really from the inside out and what things we can do to keep our skin healthy long-term, all right? An amazing guest, personal friend of mine is coming on this show, Jesse Israel. He's the founder of The Big Quiet, so we're gonna talk about massive group meditations and also solo meditations and how to implement more meditation into our life. So without further ado, let's just get into this show. Let's see this knowledge bomb for the fire that it is. Skin, skin, skin. All right, look, for me, I have always been blessed with good skin. I never went through that phase in puberty where I had acne, um, but I've, I've been around people who've suffered with acne. I've been around people who have adult acne or skin issues as a whole. So it's always been interesting for me when I hear someone go to the dermatologist and the dermatologist will prescribe them with a steroid or a cream or a pill that is indicated for their skin, but never talk to them about why the acne keeps coming or why the skin is, is, is manifesting these conditions. Um, I've been open about when uh, I, I have psoriasis. Uh, that came up a few years ago. And I remember I went to, man, actually it was more than a few years ago, maybe eight years ago. I went to the dermatologist and they gave me a corticosteroid cream. And I go, well, why did it come? And they tried, they gave me some explanation, but it wasn't enough. Uh, not enough for me to make interventions in my health. But in any case, I started using this cream and then I, I, when I stopped using it, it got way worse. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that those are all palliative, topical surface things. What I wanna present to you is a deeper stuff. So this is a skin health show. And I wanna base it all around all things that give your skin vitality and that healthy glow. So I'm gonna be sharing with you a lot of stuff you may know, a lot of stuff you may not know, all right? So skin glow evolutionarily gives us cues, right? Like that glow, uh, really good skin health, signifying in many ways evolutionary our health, our youth, our fertility, our virility as men. So let me start by saying this, skin health starts from within always, right? It's not found in a bottle. Uh, and if it is, it ain't going to be long-term. The skin will always be the last place to heal in the body. It is the lowest priority in healing. Remember that. So say, for example, your digestive system ain't right and you're not pooping, then any skin issue that you have won't heal until you really start addressing that first. So always remember healing from the inside out. So this year, the global skincare market is expected to be at around $155 billion. By 2025, the global skincare market is estimated to be at $189.3 billion. Let's put this into perspective. The organic food industry by 2025 is expected to be $70 billion, right? So that's more than half of the skincare market. It's, it's, it's incredible. Now, the supplement industry for the just overall supplements, $40 billion, right? That's more than a quarter of the skincare market. So the skincare market, you can see where the demand is. People want to feel young. They want to look young. They want to do it topically. Now, skincare is not anymore for just the aging mom or dad. This industry is actually shifting over the past few years into a younger consumer base. So skincare is approximately 39% of the cosmetic market. That's a huge chunk. And it makes sense. 
we're living in a world that promotes material. And this is just a byproduct of it. And no judgment, it is just what it is. But there's a lapse in education that good skin doesn't come from a bottle. So in today's show, I wanna share all of my holistic tips and interventions for great skin and why. First intervention, protect, protect, protect. You know how I talk about the sun, you know how much I love the sun. It's actually a core tenant of health and healing. In my book, it's, it's the sun is everything. And you'll remember, UV intensity varies. So I mentioned this. When there's a sunrise and you're exposed to the sun, it's minimal UV. Whereas when you get a strong dose of midday sun, 10 to two, then you're gonna get more UVs. So I do recommend the sun and I recommend exposing your maximum amount of skin for about 20 to 30 minutes, right? Darker skin, a little bit more. But you shouldn't burn and it shouldn't start getting uncomfortable. Now, pay really close attention because the UV, as much as the sun is healing, the UV can damage skin. So that's what I, that's what I say, get a healthy dose and then you know go back in the shade or protect yourself after. But if you're really planning a prolonged amount of time to be in the sun, like let's say a beach day or a barbecue or vacation, consider to protecting your skin. Well, how does that happen? Well, when, when you're in the sun and you have prolonged UV exposure, it leads to inflammation, okay? Naturally, what happens is when there's inflammation, you get an infiltration of white blood cells. When the white blood cells come, they start creating oxidation. And I'm gonna talk a lot more about that, but that leads to dysfunction of the skin cells. So really, really important, if you're planning on being outside, as I said, a long time, start protecting yourself, protecting your skin, okay? Now, really, really important point that I need to make is that of antioxidants, right? More importantly than sunblock is the density of antioxidants in the body. This is the reasons why fruits and vegetables are the healthiest foods on the planet. And in my book, Trump Any Animal Products, it's not only because of the fiber, but because of antioxidants. Antioxidants in plants are unmatched, and these are everything for our long-term health, for longevity, cancer prevention, inflammation, and of course, skin health. So uh, what worsens skin health or skin issues? Uh, we have to really think about from the mechanism of what stresses the body, what stresses the skin cells. When the body's antioxidant system ain't working correctly, it's, it's, it's not quenching those oxidation radicals, right? Free radicals, those oxidants. And what happens is with this, basically, you have oxidants come into the body and when we're really dense, we have a lot of good antioxidants in the body, they neutralize those oxidants. Those oxidants can cause a lot of itch issues in the body. Now, some of these oxidants are just byproducts of natural processes in the body, right? The body breaks down something, causes a little bit of oxidation, inflammation. Healthy body can handle that, neutralize it easily. Others come from other places, right? So I mentioned UV rays earlier, that's causing the oxidation. I mentioned the white blood cells coming through. Ionizing radiation, X-rays, gamma rays, that's why they put the lead vest on you. Pollution, environmental toxins, air quality, what are you breathing in? What's going into your skin? What's going into your mouth? These all play a role in oxidation levels in the body. So say you have a natural process of oxidation in the body. Antioxidants are neutralizing, negating everything, everything's good. Let's say all of a sudden now you're eating a really crappy standard American diet and, and all of the oxidants outside of you, all of the sources of oxidation outside of you are raised. Now you can see how it can be damaging to the body. So what happens? The protective mechanism is, is in your cells, right? So the skin cells in particular, in particular, when they're exposed to too much oxidation, the membrane is affected, the DNA is damaged, the mitochondria, those powerhouses of the cell are doing much more, that DNA is damaged, the fat layer damaged, proteins damaged, the enzymes that, that 
enable all the processes in the cell to happen. Damage. Oxidation is like a forest fire. So I want you to think of this analogy. Think of the Garden of Eden. It's got all the rainbows, golden rivers, unicorns. Everything is in harmony. There's beautiful music with flutes. Every few minutes, there's a World War II bomber, and it flies over this garden and drops some bombs. And luckily, there are these Garden of Eden butterflies, right? They have glitter coming out of their wings, and these nets catch these bombs every single time, so the integrity of the Garden of Eden is protected. The butterfly is basically the antioxidant-rich food. That's what it thrives on. So when the butterfly eats that antioxidant-rich food, it's able to protect the Garden of Eden. So without them, there's less and less nets to catch those bombs and more and more damage to the garden. So you have to understand, antioxidant-rich foods are the source of protecting the harmony of your body. And this is why antioxidant-rich foods are fruits and vegetables you want to have in your diet all the time. All the different colors, which have different antioxidants to do different things in the body, and servings throughout the day, unlimited servings. But this is going to be the first step to really helping your skin, your skin health, acne, glow, whatever it is, skin health overall. Because what happens is, Oxidation over time is the reason you're rapidly aging. That's what happens. Oxidation of the skin causes premature aging. All right. So with oxidation comes inflammation. So inflammation is the other point that I need to make. Chronic inflammation is a fire burning in the body. And if you are inflamed, you are creating oxidation in the body. See the cycle? Oxidation is causing inflammation. More inflammation is causing more oxidation. So over time, they're going to take away from your internal environment, your internal health, that Garden of Eden analogy. Ultimately, it's reflecting on your external appearance. Appearance. So what is the root cause of it? Well, we know major root cause of inflammation is a standard American diet, processed oils, simple carbs, high sugars, food colorings, other chemicals, major inflammatory uh, foods, major inflammatory diet. That's going to be a major push on what's happening as far as inflammation. So the question is, can you adapt an anti-inflammatory diet? Can you eat mostly fruits, mostly vegetables as the base of your diet? What about chronic infections? That's another source of inflammation we don't think about, but is it wreaking havoc on your immune system? Chronic stress, are you in a place or space that is keeping you from in fight or flight as always? What about trauma from your past? What about anticipatory anxiety of the future? These are all signals from your brain that tells your system release more stress hormone. Chronically, what's happening is that's a slow burn of inflammation. This is the number one factor that's aging you, biologically premature aging, and then our physical ages. So it's very important to control stress, 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 stress. Your skin will never look amazing, glowing, youthful, and radiating if you are persistently stressed. This is why people who do things like breathwork, meditation, gratitude, affirmations, whatever it is, an exercise program, when they're reducing that daily bucket of stress, that's why all of a sudden people are like, hey, Jan, you look great today. I mean, you look like uh, you have a glow to you. You have some redness in your cheeks. Will, look at your energy. You look, you just, you, you, you're shining, you're glowing. This is, this is why you're reducing that stress load in the body. So the question is, are you toxic? Is your skin suffering from, as I mentioned before, poor air quality, persistent inflammation in the body? What are you putting on your skin, right? One, one application, two, 10, isn't going to do much, but over time, what's happening with that bucket of inflammation? Uh, is it absorbing and causing localized inflammation? What about body lotion? All these things are really important. Remember, health is holistic. It's not just one answer. Skin health is not found in a pill. It's not found in a cream. How about collagen? Oof, this is, this is the major one that we think. We, people take collagen, especially all, all, all these health influencers that I see really talking about collagen is the reason I stay so glowy and young. Well, maybe. Um, 
collagen is basically the main structural protein in the body. It is in the skin, in the cartilage, ligaments, tendon, and bone. Without it, we'd be a puddle of skin, all right? Skin, muscle, and bones. We'd just be on the floor. And it's what makes our skin plump and gives us that flexibility. You know, when you pull on your skin and it goes back, that's collagen. Better the collagen, the more elastic and hydrated and youthful your skin looks. The reason the skin sags when we get older is because collagen declines. It happens when we get older. It's a natural process or so we think. So do collagen products work? Yes and no. For everyone, no. If your body needs to utilize those collagen peptides for other processes, you better believe it's going to utilize it for other processes. Remember I said skin is the last pillar that the body wants to get to. It, it heals the internal environment. If you need healing internally, let's say in your gut, I promise you your body's going to go, let's hold off on the skin. And let's give the gut a little bit more love. So that's why collagen peptides don't always work for everyone. Study-wise, it proves that point. It's mixed. Some studies say it doesn't work at all. Other studies say it helps with skin hydration and elasticity. For me, more impor important than uh, collagen peptides are the precursors to collagen, right? What actually tells your body's own your, your body's genes and those proteins to be created. Uh, what tells your body it's time to make some more collagen, basically. So vitamin C, major, major for skin health. Always think skin health and vitamin C. Why? Well, vitamin C not only helps stabilize the collagen that you already have, but it's also going to signal the synthesis of more collagen in your body. Amazing stuff. So eat your berries, eat your citrus foods, eat your peppers, eat your papaya, eat your mango, eat your guava. Make sure you're getting in more vitamin C in your body. What else? What are some of the precursors? Proline, glycine, lysine. These are amino acids that are the stable backbone of collagen. So uh, where do you get those? Well, if you eat animals and animal products, you can get them from meat, fish, and eggs, but you also can get it from cabbage, soy, watercress, sesame, chives, beans, legumes, seaweed. This is why it's very important to have variety in your diet. Please don't be eating the same stuff every single day, okay? Exercise and fasting. What does that do for our skin? Well, it does something for our skin. They play a role in the context of antioxidants, which I was talking about before. They cause a hormetic or good stress in the body, right? What happens is there's minimal stress with a larger benefit. So it increases the mitochondrial activity in the cell. When that increases, it causes, as a byproduct, remember, oxidants. But what happens is it causes, it creates just enough oxidants where the body goes, all right, I'm going to have an adaptive response and you're going to have the anti-inflammatory effect happening, which is really cool. So yes, some inflammation or stress in the body leading to more anti-inflammatory effects down the road. Not to mention exercise increases blood flow in the skin. It brings nutrition to the skin and the cells. It's also taking the crap out. You always want to be sweating. Remember, sweating in the skin is the number one detox organ. I remember when I was doing hot yoga for, shoot, I would do it like two, three times a week. I think that's one of the best my skin has ever looked. Uh, there was always a redness, uh, a nice glowy, uh, vit vital, uh, glowy tint. It was just really nice. but. Um, what I know that I was doing was sweating all the time. I do that with my sauna, but really I'm, what I'm trying to submit to you guys is get, get the sweating, get the sweating. If you want your skin health to be optimal, get the sweating, all right? Detoxification, make sure you're drinking adequate amounts of water, filtered water. Remember, rehydrate yourself. You can use a mineral complex, but you wanna use filtered water, get all that crap out. I've done two water shows at this point, check those out to, uh, so you have a backbone on understanding what you need to do to get your best water out there. But water is gonna be so important. Your skin's, I mentioned, your largest detox organ. We need to be sweating, we need to be supporting it. Lots of skin issues are coming from hormonal dysfunction. So if your doc has not run a Dutch test for you, 
uh, ask them, and hopefully they can do it and, and read it for you properly. But review your testosterone, your estrogen, your progesterone, all are going to have an influence in the skin, especially testosterone. So you'll be able to see through this test, not only your overall metabolism, metabolism of the hormone, but also the breakdown of how the hormone is breaking down in the body. So basically, let's say for estrogen, you'll see, okay, how are the different forms of estrogen breaking down and what paths, for lack of better terms, are they going down? And is the path that it's going down for me causing estrogen dominance? Or are the enzymes for testosterone causing me to have too much of that potent testosterone in the body or the breakdown product of testosterone? So ask your doctor to run this test for you because now... After that, you'll be able to see your results, see which nutrients and foods you can incorporate to create a better balance of your hormones. But really, if you ain't pooping, then your hormones are not working. They go hand in hand. So pay really close attention to your gut health, your stools, and I'm going to go into that. If you're not going to the bathroom every day or you are, but you don't think you're completely voiding, look at the Bristol stool chart. You have to work towards pooping every day because that's what's happening with your hormones. They're coming out through the poop and that's helping balance, helping detox, okay? I mentioned gut. Super important for overall skin health. Gut is important and is aligned with our skin health. Here is where the immune system is. A lot of our immune system, okay? Most of it. Nutrients are absorbed. Detoxification, this is where it's going down. This is where excess hormones are secreted. It is the spot. It is a hot spot in town. It is the number one place that people want tickets to. This is where it's happening in the gut. The gut is what's up for the skin. Men, really, it's the importance of pooping and hormones. As, as I mentioned, they go hand in hand. But I always say, if there's an issue with the, if the skin, let's say acne or psoriasis or eczema, you always have to look at the gut first. My psoriasis, when I have psoriasis, the experience of psoriasis, not my psoriasis. You never want to uh, tie a dysfunction in the body to being yours. Um, it's just an expression that's happening in the body. So when I, expression, when I uh, experience the psoriasis, I know that my gut is always off. That's hand in hand. When my gut ain't right, my skin ain't right. And I ask you, if you have uh, issues with your skin, ask yourself the same question, okay? Acne, 10 times more likely to have gut issues if you have acne. IBS, and this is something I was diagnosed with in 2007, 34% of folks who have IBS have skin issues, right? So there's a major connection. Why? Well, we believe the connection is between the bacteria and how it influences the immune system systematically on an inflammatory standpoint. Uh, certain bacteria or these microbes are creating metabolites that have an anti-inflammatory influence on the body or conversely speaking, certain pathogenic uh, microbiota, they have metabolites that cause an inflammatory influence in the body and the immune system. So this is why you hear about dysbiosis, the imbalance of those that microbial colony, and acne or other skin issues. There's also evidence, actually, that it might be that the micro microbiota or the metabolites have a direct influence on the skin, literally meaning that, so we talked about the indirect influence where they, they influence the immune system, and the immune system can either be pro-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory, or cause that, those conditions. Well, now we know in the case of leaky gut or gut permeability is that certain microbiota or those metabolites that they make can travel outside of the skin, literally through metastasis, go through the blood and go to the skin and cause that localized inflammation. It's really incredible stuff. But the take home is that if your gut ain't right, your skin probably is not going to be right. All right, so I spoke about 
things that we can take out of our body or we can optimize. But for the second segment over here, I want to go into things that we can put in our body. So what are the interventions that we can start adding into our lifestyle, into our diet that are going to optimize skin health? So for the product section, we're going to go into the, the, my protocol for skin health and it's going to be really cool. So let's get right to it. All right, really important. What are we going to add into our diet? What are we going to add into our lifestyle supplement, supplement wise? So some of the most important things we need to understand, I remember I said, nothing's found in a bottle when it comes to skin, but we really need to start adding in these nutrients to optimize our skin. All right, some of the best known antioxidants for skin health. We're going to find vitamin A, vitamin C, and vitamin E. You want to take them together if you do use them in a supplement, especially A and C. They work really well synergistically at regenerating those antioxidants, as I mentioned. Vitamin C, as I mentioned, not only in collagen, but is extensively involved in removing oxidation in the, in the body. Vitamin E is great at protecting the cell and the cell membrane from oxidation. These are really like fundamental core antioxidants that we get from our diet or we get supplementally. So Vitamin A, bioavailable vitamin A, you're going to find in animal products. Pre-vitamin A, before it becomes a bioavailable uh, version of it, you're going to find in things like sweet potato, winter, squash, kale, collard, turnip greens, carrots. So really important to note, in the, in the context of antioxidants, you don't want to take beta-carotene or vitamin E tocopherol alone and in high doses and indiscriminately. Because what happens is, yes, it will have the antioxidant capacity, but uh, when used irresponsibly, it can actually have an opposite effect and cause some issues. So talk to your doctor about taking those, but really I think it would be better to take them together, vitamin A, C, E, nature's antioxidants, and then getting them from food. Selenium. Ooh, I love this one. I love this one as an antioxidant. It's super powerful, actually. It protects cells from oxidation, but it also supports glutathione, that glutathione, glutathione peroxidase system, the reducing oxidation detox system of the body, it's going to help support that while protecting the cell. Selenium is a powerful antioxidant. Where are you going to find it? Brazil nuts. So you don't, you actually don't go crazy on Brazil nuts. I want you to have, if you do have Brazil nuts and your doctor says it's okay, I would have three, four Brazil nuts a day helps protect you in its antioxidant capacity. Why? You can have too much selenium. All right. So keep it at a level where you're conservative with it. You also get it from seafood, organ meats, and tofu. Resveratrol. And this is a really important antioxidant. It inhibits oxidative damage from the UV. So think about it this way. If you know you're going to be in the sun all day, I think resveratrol, rich foods, would be a really good intervention to make before you get out in the sun. Where are you going to find them? Peanuts, pistachios, grapes, wine, blueberries, cranberries, even cocoa and dark chocolate, right? So for me, uh, especially during the summer, I had... I had a bowl of berries every morning because I knew I was going to be outside. And I know the blueberries had not only resveratrol, but other antioxidants, antioxidants that were going to protect my body. All right. This might be one of my favorite ones right here. Epigallocatechin, gallate, EGCG. This is the constituent that is high, highly found in green tea, matcha. This is why I talk about this so much. Why? Because it's protecting our body from antioxidant. It is a potent, potent antioxidant, and it's a broad scavenger of oxidants in the body. So it's protecting your skin, but it's also protecting your whole body. So this is why part of my morning rituals were to have green tea 
A little bit later, have the bowl of blueberries and then be outside in the sun. Quercetin. Quercetin is nature, one of nature's fundamental antioxidants, supports regular glutathione, uh, glutathione production and, uh, and regulates it. Uh, also, we see it removes those oxidative, oxidative species in the body and protects you from UV damage. Again, the sun protecting the skin overall, strengthens the cell. It's one of the most prominent antioxidants that we have in the body. You get it from kale, onions, berries, apples, red grapes, broccoli, cherries, as well as tea. So start getting more. If you, if you hear foods in this that, that aren't in your diet, but you think about incorporating, well, now you know they're going to be helpful for your whole body and even your skin. CoQ10. This is a fat-soluble antioxidant. Prevent, prevents the oxidative activity and also regenerates alpha-tocopherol, which, as I mentioned before, is going to be one of nature's antioxidants. But really, why CoQ10 is special in the context of skin is that it's been shown to influence the genes that create proteins that inhibit these enzymes that break down collagen. So literally, CoQ10 is helping protect skin integrity. Amazing stuff. You're getting that from food, uh, certain foods. You can get it from animal, animal products if you eat those. Uh, but also, you get it from spinach, cauliflower, broccoli, soybeans, lentils, peanuts, sesame seeds, pistachios. You want to eat it with a fat because it's a fat-soluble antioxidant. It works better when you pair it with a fat. So let's say you have tofu or soybeans. You put a little, maybe like a teaspoon of olive oil around it, um, and it'll help the absorption. Carotenoids, really amazing stuff. These are lutein, lycopene, zeaxanthin. Uh, I'm going to tell you why they're amazing. There's a double-blind study, placebo-controlled, uh, and they looked at the efficacy of oral supplementation with the topical application of lutein, combined with zeaxanthin. And they looked at five parameters of skin health. Epidermal layer, that's a fat layer that protects you. Hydration of the skin, the skin cells. Photo, uh, photoprotective activity, right, protecting you from UV. Skin elasticity, what keeps us looking young. And lipid peroxidation uh, under UV, basically protecting the, protecting the skin from that oxidation. Um, and what they found was after 12 weeks, both, the, both treatments improved these measures. The oral administration was superior to the topical, but when you had the oral and the topical together, you provided the greatest protection to your skin. So in other words, if you're eating lutein and zeaxanthin-rich foods and utilizing some sort of topical protector of the skin as well, then you're optimizing the protection of, from UV. So lutein-rich foods, spinach, Swiss chard, kale, parsley, pistachios, green peas, broccoli, um, lettuce, zeaxanthin, leafy greens, peas, squash, um, pumpkins, broccolis, asparagus. Um, and lycopene itself isn't a scrub either. It's very much so involved in neutralizing those oxidative species. You get that from watermelon, tomato, grapefruit, asparagus, cabbage, papaya, sun-dried tomatoes. These are all foods that you know if you're in the sun, I'm going to be in the sun for a long time, start utilizing all the foods that I'm listing here. It's going to be so, so important. Okay, and, and now that we're on the subject of uh, things that I do for my skin, and, uh, and no, please believe that I'm always eating those foods. Uh, and now maybe not all the time, even being like, oh, I'm going to eat this bowl for my skin. It's just naturally eating the variety of colors of fruits and vegetables. I know the byproduct is protecting my skin, which is amazing. But let me share some other things with you in this segment that I do for myself. Hygiene, so important. Make sure you clean your face every night. This is simple, but something that we all need to be doing. Uh, I use a daily cleanser. 
um, and I'll tell you which one later, uh, exfoliation of the skin. Super important for keeping your skin glowing and shining and feeling youthful and looking youthful two to three times a week if you can handle it. That removes debris off the top layer, clears out clogged pores, and uh, think about it, if you do a day cream to protect your skin and a night cream, that's what I do. Uh, but my personal face ritual looks like this. I'll share it with you and I'll do a little Instagram story in the future around when this comes out. But I have a whole ritual. Uh, I exfoliate two, two, three times a week and I use a cleanser. Uh, I'll use a toner. I'll use a hydration spray. I'll use a concentrated balm and then I'll use a cream. Uh, a cream and then just a, a day cream if it's during the day. But all of these are coming from Josh Rosebrook. I love that product line. Um, for me, it's important because it's high quality, certified organic, organic, well-crafted. I have no affiliation with them. They just give me good products. And I, I actually do notice a difference at least in three weeks um, of doing it consistently. Regardless, even if you don't want that line, check EWG. Look at their skin deep database and you're able to be, you'll be able to research which products are really good and start testing them. You know, use them for three weeks, four weeks. See how your skin changes. Um, but yeah, every night I do it and every morning I wake up, my face is smoother. There's more, there's more uniformity in my skin, uh, texture, radiance. And this was all in like three weeks. It was really nice. Uh, I clean my pillows often, my pillowcases particularly. Um, it's not something we always think about, but make sure you're keeping your pillowcases clean. But when I say clean, using a gentle clean detergent, um, and do that on your bedding also. And I did a whole show on detergents, episode number 13, to find out which ones to use. And lastly, I'm going to share with you my little secret, is the red light. The red light has been so, so helpful for my overall skin health. And guess what? There's data on it. There was a prospective randomized control study in the Journal of Photobiomodulation and Photomedicine and Laser Surgery. Uh, what they did was they took the intervention group and there was a placebo group that got fake light. But the intervention group, they were exposed to red and near-infrared light two times a week for 30 treatments total uh, for 12 to 25-minute sessions. They had subgroups. And basically what they saw was the treated subjects experienced significant improvements in skin complexion, the feeling of the skin, and then reduction in skin roughness. The kicker was they also looked at ultrasound. And what they saw was collagen density was increased. Literally, the red light was increasing that collagen density, making the skin more plump, more supple, more hydrated versus the placebo, literally from a red light. So I, I think that this is actually going to be a, a major biohack into skin health in the next coming years. I'm just hoping I drop it down for you a little bit earlier. Yeah, but in any case, you can always look at that. I talk about the BioLite. I think that's my favorite one. They came out with a little one that's handheld even and pretty affordable. Um, I have the Big Daddy one that just gives you all this red light. But um, regardless, they're both really strong and it's something to look at. If you really are looking to heal your skin, reduce inflammation, I think the red light's going to be major for you too. So there you are. Now, look, you, you know oxidation, you know inflammation, you know detoxification now, you know about the importance of antioxidants, where to find your antioxidants. Uh, even supplementally, you can buy antioxidants if you're always on the go or, or you're traveling. The red light, these are all things, the gut health, these are all things that are so, so important for your overall skin health, skin appearance, youthful collagen. So this as a whole, take this for what it is and know, all right, 
Here's the big picture. Let me start making those interventions into my health every single day, right? Let me get a little bit of, let me get a red light if, if it's something that I want. Let me get a little bit of that. You know what collagen peptides, maybe they work, maybe they don't. Let me start with those collagen precursors. Let me reduce that inflammation. Let me up those antioxidants. Let me protect myself if I'm gonna be in the sun a long time. I promise you, see, skin health doesn't happen just one day to the other and certainly doesn't happen from a cream or a pill. But notice, just notice over time, give yourself three months, six months, and notice if you make these interventions, the changes in your skin. I really hope that helped you all. I'm so happy to be sharing you uh, with you this knowledge. But really, I can't wait. I can't wait to get this guest in. My guy, Jesse, and I are going to talk about meditation and community and everything in between. I'm so happy to be bringing him on. So let's move to that special guest segment. All right, everyone, today's guest, special guest. Listen, I'm always excited when I can have a personal friend of mine here because then it reflects how powerful the community is around me. And this is nothing short of amazing when I can have my guy here, Jesse Israel. He is a public speaker, meditation teacher, and founder of The Big Quiet. We're going to go into how important community and meditation are. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Jesse, my guy. My man, thank you so much for having me, Thank bro. you for coming. We were about to slap hands right in the middle right. of the show, right? <laughs> It's great to have you here. As I was saying, it's, it's, it's always awesome when I can have a personal friend of mine because it's like that I know that the people in my community are doing big things. Mm. And you are, man. I, I know you started The Big Quiet. And uh, when I found out about it, I was like, damn, this guy this guy's doing some big stuff. I'm like, because <laughs> I met you before I even knew what you were doing. And um, for those of who don't know, who are listening or watching, Tell us a little bit about what The Big Quiet is and how it got started because the story behind it is pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks, brother. And thank you so much for having me on. It's, uh, it's so pleasure. good to be here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so Big Quiet is a mass meditation movement. We do huge, large-scale mass meditations with thousands of people at a time. Uh, we've done them filled with, with uh, stadiums of people, actually. And the way that it started was with 20 people in my buddy's apartment in Soho in New York. I used to live in New York for a while. Mm -hmm. And the way that it really unfolded really goes back to when I was 20. I was actually running a record label for most of my 20s. It was something that I started out of my dorm room at NYU with my sophomore roommate. We, uh, we started managing a band called MGMT, uh, who at the time was a little baby band that was out of uh, Wesleyan College. And we formed a dorm room record label to put out MGMT's first album, and by the time we graduated at NYU, I was 23 years old, we had this growing record label and we were starting to sign lots of bands, doing lots of, lots of fun stuff in the music biz. I was working really hard, had no understanding of how to really take care of myself so I could be an effective worker and started burning out. I was 23 at that point, started having panic attacks, pretty debilitating anxiety. And it was confusing because I was seeing success through my work and everything was kind of cool and sexy and exciting working in the music biz. But internally I was unhappy and I just, I wasn't feeling good. And it didn't feel like something that I could talk about. There wasn't much conversation around mental health in the music industry at this point. And as a man, it definitely wasn't something that I felt like I, 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 it, was, it was safe to speak about with other men. Mm -hmm. So it was a really internal process for me. And I learned about meditation as a way to help me move through some of that stress and some of that internal stuff. And it was incredibly valuable. It brought a lot of relief to my system in a short period of time. So I really fell in love with the practice of meditation. And at this point, I was in my mid-20s. So I'm 36 now. And while I continued to work in the music biz, lots of things started to shift in my world. Whereas before I was meditating, I found that the anxiety and the stress that I was experiencing was so debilitating 
that I wasn't able to speak in front of groups, probably more than 10 people. I couldn't get, I couldn't really get, get my mouth going. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sick a lot. I had trouble sleeping. I felt like my creativity was blocked. I was uncomfortable in social situations. I just, I just didn't feel like me. And when I learned meditation and started to bring it into my life, I started to see these big changes. And um, I started to feel healthier. I started to notice that my immune system was strengthening. I got a lot more creative. I started to really bring more innovation to my work within the music space. Mm-hmm. And people started to notice a change in me and they would ask what was up. So I would be at, at music festivals, you know, backstage meditating with other music managers or people from other labels or other musicians. And that's when I first started to get a taste of the power of bringing quiet to spaces that you wouldn't expect to have quiet in. Mm-hmm. And also the power of community when sharing quiet space, mm-hmm. right? To be at a music festival meditating with um, you know, my peers in the space that I'm used to just like always running around with and hustling and party yeah. with, and all of a sudden we're just sitting silent while all these stages have music blasting and there are people running around drunk. It was a really interesting juxtaposition and it felt good. And I started to realize through these little groups that were forming in the music biz when we get quiet together, that I wasn't the only person that, was, that had been going through these challenges or was you know, ex- exploring ways to work through my mental health stuff. So I decided about seven years ago to actually leave the music biz and to really pursue bringing meditation to the people and to do it in ways that were accessible, which I was seeing was really clicking through my time in the music biz. So to bring it back to how The Big Quiet was started, it was 20 people in my buddy's apartment. It was uh, a few months after I had left my record label after running it for 10 years. I was about to turn 30 years old. And 20 of us got together We shared some quiet. We talked about some of the real stuff that was going on in our lives, which was so valuable because we're used to just seeing the social media posts and there's no real understanding of what's going on. And it just felt really good to have that space together. So we meditated, we talked, we decided we would do it every month and it just started to grow. It went from 20 people to 40 people. And then right before the pandemic, uh, so as of March, 2020, we had just finished a, a tour. I was on tour with Oprah Winfrey hosting mass meditations with about fifteen to 17,000 people at a time. It's pretty incredible. Wow. Mind-blowing, right? So, <laughs> it, all, so it, it started in an apartment with 10, 11 people. And then how many people with Oprah? Up to 17,000 was our biggest one on 17, tour. Up to 17,000. That's incredible how you can create from, from just intention something really powerful and big like that. And I, I, I'm curious to know, when you were feeling that shift from bringing in meditation, what physical changes did you start feeling? When I started bringing meditation into my life. So before I was practicing, what I would notice is that I would get home from work and I would, I would just feel exhausted in my body. Mm. And I would look at myself and I didn't, I didn't look healthy. I didn't feel healthy. Like I mentioned, I wasn't sleeping well. I could just, I could just feel that it was off in my system. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really fully understand the science of what was happening when practicing meditation. We can talk about that in a second. Um, But what I started to notice was I was feeling a lot more rested Mm. Uh, through the practice of meditation, bringing that rest into my system. I was able to start to keep up with the stressors and demands that the world was placing on me and that my work was placing on me. And we all know there's so much input today. You know, I later learned a really interesting stat, which is that When we were hunters and gatherers living in tribes, which is how we existed for the great majority of our time on this earth, the amount of information that we would process in our entire lives 
living in tribes is equivalent to the amount of information that we process in one single day today in 2021. And it's only been about 10,000 years since we all lived in tribes. 10,000 years is not enough time for the brain to biologically and evolutionarily adapt to the changes in the world today. So we have brains and bodies that are used to existing and are at the still level of existence as when we existed in tribes. But here we are today experiencing a level of input and demand on our bodies and brains and nervous systems that the body hasn't really been able to catch up to. Mm -hmm. So I would feel that a lot before I was meditating. I would feel just the sort of drain and overwhelm from just being a modern, sensitive person. Meditation helped me, and this is one of the first things I noticed, it allowed me to start to feel like I could face and take on the things that were coming to me in my life and to be able to take them on with more presence, with more of who I was, with power, with creativity. Mm -hmm. And the more I was practicing regularly, the more I felt like I was really able to move into that potential. Oh, I love that. I, lo I love that you brought up that fact that our physiology has not adapted to the stimulus and input, especially with the advent of cell phones right. and social media. And all of a sudden, we are shifting the way even our brain is designed, right? All of a sudden, the parts of our brain and integration are changing because of this. And, right. and, and the, the, the most incredible thing I found out about meditation, and I started doing it in undergrad. The, the most incredible thing I found out about it was when I did my meditation show here, mm. like, like last year, right around there, and I learned about what it does to the brain. And to think your brain can actually change with the more amount of meditation you put in. Right. All of a sudden, your parts of your brain that are associated with anxiety are gonna start shrinking. And the ones that are associated with a better sense of comfort, mm -hmm. and like overall well-being, they start growing. That's right. incredible. That right. Literally sitting down, what do you mean, tell me, 15, 20 minutes of sitting down is going to shift my brain? That was the most mind-blowing thing to think that we can every single day show up in that way. Have you learned anything throughout your time about how meditation changes the body in that sense or anything? Absolutely. So the, the way that I like to really look at how and why meditation is so important and powerful, especially in 2021 in this modern day and age, is to start by understanding what stress does to the body and to the mind. And I know you've talked a lot about stress on the show, so I'll keep it relatively quick and speak to it through the way that is always really clicked for me. And by understanding stress, we can really understand what meditation does to not only repair the body from stress, but prevent it from future stressors. Mm -hmm. So with stress, and the way that I like to look, about, look at it and talk about it is, is the result of the body's fight or flight response. And the fight or flight response is this really important mechanism in the body, as you know, that shift, shifts our physiology when the body thinks that it's about to be under attack. So when we're actually under attack, it's incredibly helpful. Yeah. Again, when we were hunters and gatherers, if we were going out to hunt for our afternoon lunch and a saber-toothed tiger jumped out on the path, the body's fight or flight response would turn on and a handful of really important physiological changes occur so we could either fight that tiger or run for it. Mm -hmm. Cortisol starts to pump through the blood, mm -hmm. the hormone that tells our system, alert, alert. It's like an alarm that goes off that says, pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the arteries would start to shrink and the blood uh, would thicken. So if we get bit by that tiger, we don't bleed out as much. Blood becomes more acidic. So we don't taste as good if the tiger bites Amazing us, stuff, right? right? The digestive system and reproductive systems, they turn off entirely. So we have more energy to go to our survival. Mm -hmm. Our muscles tense up. Our vision goes like this. We mm -hmm. go to tunnel mode, tunnel vision mode. 
And our brain only thinks about this one thing, perseverates, focuses on this one thing, survival. So again, when we're faced with a human hungry predator, this is really helpful stuff. But here we are today, it's only been about 10,000 years since you know, pre-agricultural revolution, since we all lived in tribes. Mm -hmm. And especially the past 50 years, like we're talking about the amount of input and demands on our system, we experience tons of things just on a daily basis that are triggering the fight or flight, but are not actually life-threatening. Mm. You know, we get the email, that rude email from a work colleague, and we feel it just kind of light us up. Yeah. You feel it in the stomach, blood <laughs> starts to boil, it's fight or flight. Yeah. You know, you're sitting in an Uber and you're stuck in traffic and cars are just blowing their horns even though you can't go anywhere. Mm. We feel that sort of anger and that, uh, that stress response building up. It's fight or flight. You know, social media triggers this all the time. Just basic arguments with your partner or roommate about, you know, you forgot to get the almond milk, right? <laughs> so all of these things are, are triggering fight or flight in the system, but they're very rarely actually life-threatening. When we practice meditation, it's turning off the body's fight or flight response. Like at its simplest, we close our eyes, we begin the practice, the fight or flight response starts to shut down or it starts to cool off. Mm -hmm. And the fight or flight response, which we know is, is referred to the sympathetic nervous system, when we practice meditation, it turns on the parasympathetic nervous system. It's also known as the relaxation response. So fight or flight response starts to go down, relaxation response starts to go up. Practicing meditation on a regular basis starts to allow the parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response, to stay lit up. Mm -hmm. And when that's happening, we have all the opposite physiological reactions that occur when we have fight or flight. So instead of the cortisol pumping through our blood, we have dopamine and serotonin, the feel-good mm -hmm. hormones. Our, our, our arteries open, our blood starts to move more fluidly, blood becomes more alkaline instead of acidic, muscles loosen up, digestive system, reproductive systems, they turn on, fertility increases, mm -hmm. stomach problems start to shift away. And then you talked about what happens in the brain, it's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that we can think of, kind of like the CEO of the brain, mm -hmm. like the decision maker, it's this important force in the brain. It gets fully shut down when we experience stress. When we practice meditation, prefrontal cortex, brain CEO, lights up. The amygdala, the part of our brain which creates stress, starts to shut down and quiet down, like you mentioned. So some pretty incredible changes start to occur. And we not only notice ourselves becoming more physically relaxed, we also notice that our health starts to improve. Science shows that regular meditators are more likely to be able to just naturally fight infectious disease. Yeah. We start to sleep better. The people that I teach, one of the, the first benefits that I hear about almost always is, I'm sleeping through the whole night for the first time in years. Um, our creativity starts to boost. If you look at what's changing and what's lighting up in the brain, our memory retention centers, our ability to hold information um, starts to expand. Our ability to connect romantically, sexually, socially, it just feels more comfortable, more fluid. Mm -hmm. We start to feel more like who we are. And the last thing I'll say, which was, which was really what made clear to me that meditation was something that I, I seriously wanted to pursue, not only practice, was when the blocks that we experience in our bodies start to dissipate, right? The anxiety and the stress. When the immune system starts to strengthen, right? When we get all these benefits that you hear about, what then happens is we start to get more clear about why we're on this earth, what we stand for, what we care about. Mm -hmm. 
you'll hear people talk about how meditation can allow for an individual to feel more of a sense of purpose, and it's real. As we get clear about who we are, we get clear about how we can contribute to the world. Mm -hmm. And once we're able to start to give to that and to connect with that sense of purpose, I find that life becomes more fulfilling. We're able to experience more joy just in being who we are on this earth. And in doing so, we're able to actually impact other people. Mm -hmm. To me, wellness is about being able to get clear about meaningfully having an impact on the world around mm -hmm. us, contributing to the world around us, not just looking good and feeling good. It's how we can give to the world around us. Yeah. So that's my, that's my big beefy answer. Yeah, no, and I love that beefy answer. It's, <laughs> it's everything, it encapsulates everything. That is what it is. And um, I mean, I, I could speak to it personally. When I Please. started meditating, I was much more reactive and my place in the world was that of a reactor, you mm -hmm. know? Um, reacting to that email, like, oh, what the fuck are they coming with that? I don't want to talk about that, you know, like, or just yeah, yeah. feeling it in my body and like to think, and I always attribute it to me being just like hot-blooded Latin, you know, right, like right. I'm, I'm, I'm chill and then I'm, I'm on and I'm firing, I have a temper, right? But when I brought in meditation and I did it consistently every single night for about a year, I, I just dedicated myself to it. After three months, I would say, my waking life changed. Mm. So the same instances that were presenting, all of a sudden were just not inflaming my body anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. like, what is happening to me? Why don't I feel that push or that, that spike in cortisol, that spike in adrenaline, right? So then I go, whoa, this stuff is real. Mm -hmm. So my brain was changing, my body was changing. The, the way I interacted with the world around me was changing. And over time, what happened was exactly what you said, the clarity and who I am and why I'm here mm. came and it came pretty fast. I was like, oh my God, like I have purpose in this world mm. because I truly do believe through meditation or folks who do yoga, whatever can get you in the present moment more consistently will put you in a place where you touch on your soul and your soul's purpose. Right. And to hear people say that through meditation is powerful because it's cheap. It's pretty, you could do it fairly fast, you know, and to show up in the world the way you're talking about and, ha and spilling over is is amazing. And do you notice that from people? They're, they're saying like, damn, I've been meditating consistently and I, I feel so much more spiritually connected and now I, have a, I know what my purpose is. Do you feel people coming back with that feedback? Yeah, I hear people saying it a lot. You know, one of the, the greatest things about being a teacher of a practice that I believe in so much is just consistently seeing how it changes people's lives and hearing how it changes people's lives. And what I see most from students is it starts with um, some of the very common issues that we experience that lots of humans experience, especially here in America. It starts with people start to feel less stressed. They start to feel less anxious. They start to feel like they can actually sleep through the night. And as I watch more light and color start to come back into their being, yeah. <laughs> um, I start to notice that if they maintain their practice, they start to get clearer about what they're here on this earth to do. And it's crazy to witness how relation, relationships shift. I'll see people move out of relationships that weren't working and then they're calling in the right relationships. Yeah. I'm seeing that romantically, I'm seeing it with friends, I'm seeing it with work, right? So it's, it's pretty incredible to, to witness that. And part of why I think meditation is becoming so popular and has, especially over the past five years, is because this is no longer something that's just about spiritual jargon or something that's a tied to a new age practice, meditate and find your purpose. Yeah. You know, what, what I like about it as a man with, with, I'd say oftentimes more masculine, rational tendencies is that we can really understand because there's so much extensive science and research, research around how meditation 
is affecting our bodies and brains. We can really understand through science what's happening in the body that allows us to feel less blocked and then to feel more clear about who we are and how we can then give ourselves to the world. Science supports the process from what's happening in the body and in the brain. And I think this is helping lots of people go, okay, this isn't just some weird thing that I always thought was attached to certain religion, but it's something that I can bring into my life so I can feel like I have a more meaningful place on this earth. Mm. I, and and my, my understanding with that is that the more that we do it, the more that we have that within us, we can share with others. But the easier part, as you mentioned, and this is what I noticed when I started meditating, my friends were like, oh, there goes hippie Christian over there right, in the right, corner, right, right. corner of the dorm room doing his meditation. Um, my dad was open to it he was because he was always very down earth and spiritual. But now it's like it's like hip to meditate. I see, right, right, right. I see influencers in aloe yoga gear doing, doing meditations. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> it has become trendy, but to the benefit of what we want. We want that deeper connection. We want that for people to go, whoa, this was like trendy and now it's like amazing. What I hear most about people is when I meditate, I just can't quiet my mind. It doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. There's so many people that go, I can't meditate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know you get that question more than anything. How do you, what, what words can you say to someone to encourage them to say, no, meditation might be for you, even if you have all these thoughts right. that are deterring you from doing it. What are some things you say to those, those folks? I say, just try a different style of meditation. You know, there, there's this, there's a misconception out there that being a quote unquote, I'm doing fingers, good meditator means that I don't think when I meditate. Mm. This is very tough to do. Our brain is not designed to just be totally quiet like that. And people uh, uh, have this misconception that if the mind is wandering when they're practicing, that they suck at meditation, that they're a bad meditator, that meditation's not for them. So some of the most, I'd say, popularized versions of meditation in our media, right, what we've seen in TV and what we've seen in movies, are Buddhist styles of meditation, styles of very, very beautiful, very powerful styles of meditation that are really designed for monks or for people who live isolated lives. So oftentimes we go, I have to be able to do this practice that's designed for a person with a very different lifestyle than me to be able to be good at meditation. And what I remind people of is that's just one way to meditate. Mm. Uh, Buddhist style meditation or certain mindfulness practices are really powerful, but they, they can feel more challenging to certain people. Right. And what I remind people is that there are other styles of meditation that aren't about clearing the mind of thought that I would say are more effortless and easy to do. And it's just about learning how to do those. So that's why the style of meditation that I teach and the style of meditation that I guide through big quiet events or through the work that I do is designed for householders, people that live in homes, as opposed to monks, people that live in uh, more isolated conditions. So when people realize that they can actually have the benefits of meditation and practice style of meditation or styles of meditation that are not about clearing the mind of thought, but still get those benefits, people go, oh wait, actually this thing can be for me. Right. It's just that people think meditation is one thing and one thing only. So. For example, the style of meditation that I teach through the Big Quiet, and I also teach uh, e executives and corporate teams and do a lot of privates and stuff like that, right? I really love you know, bringing this to people. Um, the style of meditation that I teach is not about clearing the mind of thoughts. I give people a mantra. It's, it's a word, it's actually, it's not an English word, it's a Sanskrit word that when we think it gently and softly, it allows the mind and body to settle and to move into more rested states. 
And if the mind is thinking while we're thinking the mantra as well, that's okay. It's not about trying to clear the mind. So we've got this very effortless, very easy practice. But what the science shows is that the benefits occur regardless of if the mind is still or if the mind is what I would refer to as unstressing, releasing stress out of the mind through that thinking, incessant thinking. Mm -hmm. As long as we're using this mantra, the practice is great. So it's been really cool to see when I teach people or when we guide people or even Oprah and I were talking about this when we were on tour together with these you know stadiums full of people to see people go, oh, wait a second, there is a way for me to practice meditation and get the benefits that's outside of the way I always thought meditation was supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah. And that's really powerful stuff because this is for everybody and the benefits are real for everyone. We've never seen meditation not work on a person. Science has never shown that meditation doesn't have benefits on a person. Mm -hmm. The stuff is real. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's accessible and it's cheap. And like I said, like you just said, it can work for everyone. Well, what I, what I one of my favorite things about it is all you need is a place to sit. That's it. And yes, being trained I think is really important or having a, a meditation app to guide you through a practice is very important. But once we've got that initial instruction in place, all we need is a place to sit. Mm -hmm. We really don't need anything else. And I love the simplicity in that. All we, you know, as, as long as we are able to make the time, and this is something I talk a lot about in my courses and in my talks, is, is how we can understand habit formation so we can make the time. Yeah. But that's it, you know? We just, we sit down, we close our eyes, or open our eyes based on our practice. We make that time for ourselves and we get to experience that benefit. I mean, it's such a beautiful, simple experience. I love that. And the, what I've always made the excuse when I'm in my go, go, go mode mm -hmm. is that I'm like, Okay, well, you know, I, I'm too busy right now to do a meditation. Um, but even if I did meditation, I have such a list of things to do that it's, I'm not even going to be able to get in right. like quiet right. mind mode. Naturally, yeah. This is what we do. Um, and what I learned is, especially recently when I've brought it back again, is if I wake up and I brush my teeth and then I meditate and then I take my supplements, the meditation is between two things that I'm going to do anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You see what I mean? So it's like, it's all of a sudden become part of a routine, just like brushing my teeth after like five days of it. Right. It's like I stacked it there. And um, I don't know, for me, that's been really helpful. Um, for people who are listening, maybe you can stack it around things that you do every single day. So this is, this is the best way to, to, to work a habit into your pre-existing routine or life is what you just identified. Yeah. So there's a great book about habit called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Have you ever read it? No. Fantastic book. It's just a really fun, fascinating read about how we can incorporate habit in our lives and also just how habit formation is a really powerful thing to understand when thinking about selling products or bringing people into communities or engaging people in something that they need to incorporate into their lives. So anyways, I recommend the book. But when we look at how to bring a habit into our lives, there's something called the habit loop that Charles Duhigg talks about in his book. And I'll give a very, very uh, basic breakdown on how it works, but I would encourage people to read the book or to Google because he has some stuff online yeah. where it goes deeper. But the basic understanding of the of the, the habit loop is um, is identifying a few key pieces in your life that you can implement to actually bring a habit, meaningfully bring a habit into your pre-existing schedule. So the habit loop starts with something called a cue. The cue is something that already occurs in your daily routine that you can, as you just said, stack the habit onto. So habit loop starts with a cue. It then moves into the routine. The routine is the thing that you want to introduce. So in this case, it's meditation. And then the habit loop ends with a reward. 
something that you can do to reward yourself for bringing that routine to life. When I started to meditate uh, over 10 years ago, the cue that I implemented into my, into my life, again, the cue is that thing that art we're already doing on a regular basis. The cue was when I leave my bathroom in the morning, every single morning, I have a pee, I brush my teeth, I rinse my face off. Every single morning, I'm gonna be leaving the bathroom. And when I would leave the bathroom, is when I would go sit down on my couch to have my meditation. So my cue was right when I would step out of the bathroom, I'd go sit down on the couch. My routine was to close my eyes and meditate, the practice that I had learned and now the practice that I teach. And then my reward, this is really helpful for me, was I, I would use an app and I recommend one called Stacks, uh, sorry, Streaks. Mm-hmm. And this app allows you to mark every time you, you, you nail a, a habit that you're trying to achieve. So every day after I would meditate, my reward was I would whip open this app and I would mark another day. Nice. And, you know, and every day after I would do it, it started to gamify the process, like a lot of the meditation apps do yeah. now. So I was able to really build streak around my practice. So as a result of having my cue of leaving the bathroom, sitting down, meditating, marking it with my reward, after a few, a few weeks, and they say it takes about 21 days to a month, but I saw that around that period of time, it started to feel really natural to me. By the 60th day, by the, you know, the two month mark of doing this pretty regularly, it just became second nature. Nice. And now it really feels like something's missing if I don't do it. So I encourage people, if they're looking at creating a habit around meditation, or if it's a habit around anything they're trying to implement into their lives, to think about what's your cue? What's the thing that already exists in your life that you can stack this on? Hmm. Then do the routine, the habit, and then find some way to reward yourself. Maybe it's by listening to your favorite podcast right afterwards. Maybe it's making yourself your morning cup of coffee or whatever, right? There's so many different ways we can look at this. But if we customize it to ourselves, we really can make that change. I just realized I'm rewarding myself with supplements. So That's a great way to look at it. That is a great way to look at it. Yeah, that's it. But, but you know, no, subconsciously there's a really delicious, tasty matcha latte that I make in the mornings too. So I think subconsciously that was my reward. Like, get, let me do this and then let me give myself a really nourishing, energizing matcha latte. So. I love it. You were, you were already implementing the habit loop without knowing it. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> the streak thing is really important for me. Like, for me and like... Uh, competition with myself in many ways like mm-hmm. yeah all right yeah we got another day you know i'm on a streak that's really it's good helpful. for my subconscious i think uh, what's it called streak app the app is called streaks okay yeah. streak app um i love that we're talking about something that is in my top 3 to 5 for any health it doesn't matter what you have what disease what you want to do meditation is always mm. you know my top 3 to 5 but now we're going to talk about community mm. and community for me has become number 1 uh, with meditation and breathing mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sleeping and all these things. But community is so, so important. And you and I share the same community. We have a lot of loved ones within that community, high vibration uh, people, influential people. Um, what does community mean to you in the sense of health and showing you who you are as a person? I love this question. When I first started organizing group meditations, I started to know, you know, I'll I'll actually speak specifically to the very first group meditation I organized, that 20-person group meditation in my buddy's apartment, which the Big Quiet ultimately became born out of. It was this really interesting period of my life. I had just turned 30. I had left this career that I had known for 10 years, the music industry. I was really in a transition space trying to figure out what was next. And I was living in New York, and it it was this weird period where 
as I was trying to figure out what, what, was, what, what, I, what I wanted to give myself to next, I would go on social media, I'd see everybody's perceived success. Everybody was kicking ass and growing their careers and their lives and their relationships. And I was feeling just kind of behind. And I know, it was really when I first started to notice the tendency to compare on social media. And what I, what I had is as I was doing, doing this doom scrolling was I was like feeling alone. I'm in this big city trying to figure out what's next for myself. It seems like everyone is kicking ass and I felt lonely. And I had this desire to meditate with other people because it was this practice that was, that was so meaningful to me. And I was noticing that other people were curious to learn about meditation and to work through their own stress. I was like, hmm, maybe this is something that I can do with other people. Traditionally, I'd, I'd only seen meditation, group meditation happening through specific lineages. Yeah. So the Buddhist center, everyone meditates together. The Vedic meditation yeah. center. But I was like, is there a way to just have young modern people come and do this together regardless of our lineage or what we practice? So the idea was, let, let me gather some folks and let me have a space where not only we can get silent and slow down and, and practice, but also talk about what I'm really feeling. And it was this thing that I felt compelled to do, but was also kind of scared to do, which was to actually say what was going on in my life, what I was actually feeling. And that first, we call it Medi Club, and it actually, it actually still, still or before the pandemic, it, it was still existing. Um, in addition to Big Quiet, every month group meditation. So this first one, like I mentioned, was 20 people, and we meditated, and after we shared the silence, which is actually kind of like a little awkward to get silent with the people that I was used to partying with <laughs> yeah. and like being you know, in, yeah. in, in business with. But after we meditated, it was, uh, I, I introduced this concept of, of having a conversation, and I decided that I would share with the group what I was feeling. You know, I, I expressed a little bit about some of the loneliness I was feeling. I expressed some of the uncertainty that I was feeling in my life, some of the self-doubt I was feeling. And um, really, it was stuff that I'd never really shared with people before. Definitely not with groups. Definitely not with, with my work colleagues. Mm -hmm. And I was so close to not sharing this stuff with the group because it didn't feel like the type of thing that I was supposed to be feeling or saying as this guy that had built this cool record label and you know people always saw me as successful but i pushed myself and i shared it and after i shared it i asked the group you know what do you guys think what, what's going on for you in your lives and there was this five second period which literally felt like a year <laughs> where no one said anything and yeah. i was like oh my god what have i done and then one other person chimed in and shared really honestly about their experience and then another friend of mine who i'd always perceived as so successful chimed in and someone else chimed in. And then, you know, three hours go by, nobody wants to leave. And what we realized was that we're all going through the same stuff, maybe slightly different versions of it, but we're all more or less going through similar stuff, but just never talking about it. And having the space to share those things, to hear each other, to validate each other, it was so incredibly healing. And I remember people going, wow, how have we never talked about this? And why does this feel so good? <laughs> what I realized at that first Medi Club was, it's great to slow down. Meditation allows us to slow down. It, it's great for the system to get that cleansing as part one, right? We get quiet. Part two, we go outward. We start to speak. We start to have conversation. We've, we've cooled off the system with meditation. Now we can talk about what's really happening. And what I saw was that 
when we're able to honestly share our, our lived experience and realize that other people are going through it as well or can relate or can help in some way, it creates the ultimate sense of belonging. It really allows us to feel human. Mm. And it's something that I think has become lost in our way of socializing. It's like a lost art to be able to talk about and connect around those deeper things that we experience. And look, talking about work, talking about fashion, sports, partying, movies, that stuff's great and important, right? We tend to connect a lot about culture or the weather. <laughs> But to be or work, you know. But to be able to talk about what we're really experiencing in a space where it feels safe and appropriate is incredibly energizing and enlivening. So I realized, hmm, there are not a lot of spaces where we can do this. Traditionally, those spaces have been in religious groups, mm -hmm. and for our generation as millennials, three fourths of our generation don't affiliate with a religion. So spaces like this that always existed, we don't really have as much access to or we don't click with them as much. So there's this huge need for community, especially in a day and age where we tend to fill that human connection void with social media. Yeah. And we get those little dopamine hits when we post something and it gets a lot of likes or we get comments that feel good, but we all know that only lasts so long until we start to feel that void again. So because social media and technology doesn't really fill that void. In fact, a lot of research shows that it tends to make us lonelier. Mm -hmm. We have this ultimate need to have in-person spaces or now uh, you know, virtual spaces where we can be there for each other, where we can feel seen and feel heard and support one another. And when this happens, pretty powerful stuff can occur. If you look at the science behind community, there's been some really interesting longevity studies that have showed if you are in some form of community where there is a connection to spirituality or meaningful dialogue, right? Where, where, you're, where there's, there's time where you're actually talking honestly with each other. If you're in a community like this and it meets at least four times a month, these individuals consistently show that they're more likely to live 14 years longer than a person that doesn't have access to a community. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. If you look at the blue zones, which are these parts uh, which are, which are these, these little um, communities and societies that exist in all over our world, in, in all the continents uh, of the world, um, where the, the average age is well past 100, you start to go, hmm, what's going on in this group where these people are living so long? There's a, there's a Blue Zone community in California, in Japan, in Hawaii, in Italy, right? And one of the, uh, the, the, the two most consistent things that they see is there's very particular diet, which is aligned with a lot of the stuff that you talk about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then uh, the other main factors, all of these communities have a real sense of community. There's a, there's a strong social group component. These people are with people that they love, that they feel supported by for their entire lives. And today, in 2021, if we live in a modern city or a modern suburb, it can be very tough to have this experience. It can be very easy to go a day, a month, most of our lifetimes mm. being surrounded by people but feeling alone. And there's something I think poetically sad about this. Yeah. There was something about this when I lived in New York for 17 years, when I would take the subway at least four times a day. But you know, let's say my morning commute, I would take the subway from, from, uh, from Brooklyn into Manhattan for a while. And I would see thousands of people on my morning commute, thousands. Yeah. And 
no one would talk to each other. <laughs> Here we are surrounded by people, right? Like literally right next to people, but totally alone in the presence of other humans. This is a new phenomenon. Again, to go back to when we lived in, in tribes, when we were hunters and gatherers living in tribes, we would encounter one to two strangers on average in our entire lifetime. So today, you know, I would see a thousand strangers just in my morning commute. This is a very interesting experience for the body and something that we're not really used to. So full circle here, when we are able to create spaces, if it's a meditation group, if it's uh, a potluck dinner, right. if it's a movie club, if it's getting together to ride bikes. I had a cheeseburger club for a while. I don't know if that's dangerous to say here on the show. <laughs> um, whatever it may be, some, some reason to gather other people, it creates the permission for connection to occur. It creates the permission to feel human, to be with others. And this is so valuable. Amen. I feel that in my bones, man, for real. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. true. And, and I think aside from the research I found on meditation, what it does to the human body, physiology. The second mind-blowing thing, and a few shows later, was when I did my first community show last mm. year. And learning that as a doctor, if I sit with a patient, I should first ask them about their sense of community. Oh, I love that. Before, this is through the data, before I ask them if they're exercising mm. and weight loss, before I ask them if they drink alcohol, before I ask them if they even smoke, before I even look at their labs and looking at their blood cholesterol, that's incredible. Right. Before those parameters, I should first go, do you have a sense of community and what does social support mean to you? What is mm. the depth of that social support? Holy moly. When I learned that, I was like, oh my God, we have been so out of touch with nature. Yeah. We have been around a thousand people on a subway right. <laughs> and walking the streets of Manhattan and our bodies going, what's happening? I have the energy of people around me, but I'm not even opening my mouth to connect with one right. out of that thousand. Right. And how good does it feel when we do a bike club, when we're able to talk to people next to our bikes, really being like, oh, wow, like that person is exactly like me. Right. Then we're jumping in the ocean. Then we're in the sauna hanging out. Then we're eating lunch. That full day is the most healing thing. It really is. Changes your brain, changes how, how you connect with your body. It's wild, uh, and this is the, the, and I'll say this, this last thing about it. You know that I have some psoriasis. Mm -hmm. And uh, after we spent our time on New Year's, we, we did a whole getaway with our beautiful community. We vibe, music, <laughs> good food, laughing, more music, outdoors, everything that is the most healing thing. You know what? I didn't even, I brought my supplements. I didn't even take any of my supplements, mm. right? Uh, I ate, but I ate, you know, some things that weren't even in my diet, really. Mm. So, what was the reason why when we came back, my body was healing? I mean, I, I showed a, a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Mary. She goes, this is the best I've ever seen your skin. Wow. And I've known her for two years. So what was it? And it's that. It's that healing. It's that permission where your body goes, all right, cortisol down, epinephrine down. We, and, and we're back in reality. We're back in that tribal community. Right. Isn't that amazing stuff? Don't you feel great when you're coming out of a great weekend or bike club or something that is communal? Isn't it healing to the mind, healing to the body for you? Absolutely. One of, this is one of the things that I'll talk about a lot, um, you know, at conferences or at events, is how anyone can become a community leader. Because it's, it's one thing to hear us talk about it, 
And a lot of people will listen to this conversation and go, I, I wish I had a group of friends where I could go on these trips or go on these bike rides. And for those of us that have access to this, we're really lucky. And what I often remind people is that if, 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 if people don't feel like they have community in their lives, they can be the catalyst to create it. Oftentimes, I will hear people think that to, to, to build community, they need to be some form of a charismatic leader. Right. And what I always remind people is that all that's required to start community is some, some sense of shared purpose, again, if that's riding bikes or if it's watching scary movies or whatever, something that you're interested in that you know a couple other people are interested in that you can do with those people. If that's through a Zoom or if that's in person and extending that invite to a couple other people. Like anyone can start to create the magic that occurs in that place. What I've noticed is that people yearn for this. I think it's the thing we crave most, human connection through community. But most people are waiting for permission someone, something, a brand, a company, a person to initiate that experience of community. And what I always encourage people to do is to start it yourself. Step up, make that invite happen. I've seen really cool groups form from giving this talk and doing workshops around this type of stuff. And once we take a little bit of action into creating that community for ourselves, we can bring it into the world. We can share more of it. We can create that ripple. Because the reality is our world needs more of this, especially right now. A hundred percent. And even if it's even if it's a basket weaving community. To yeah, totally. Right? Like just find exactly. people with like my and the magic is this. And I always think basket weaving is a Trojan horse. The truth in that, when you're basket weaving, is the connection of deeper stuff. Like even even in your group, meditation was a Trojan horse. The vulnerability after Right. was the true connection in the community, that's right? It. And, and that's it. Like, understand that when you have like-minded people, it gives you permission to let go and explore and, right. and open up about really that deeper stuff that we need, man. And whew, man, I'm fired up. I'm ready to start my own community right now. Thinking about it as a Trojan horse is spot on. It's, yeah. it's what's that one simple thing to create that permission? You yeah. know, and like for me, it's for me, I really started to get into this stuff. Even, even before I was meditating, it first happened when, um, I was like, man, I love cheeseburgers. And I love eating cheeseburgers with my guys. We're going to mute this out of the show. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> Keep going. <laughs> this is 10 years ago. No, this was longer than that, actually. Um, and it's like, I, I want to invite some guys to get together in New York. It's when I was living in Brooklyn. And we're going to go. We're going to go cheeseburgers at Peter Luger's in Williamsburg. Uh -huh. And it was really fun. 10 guys having burgers together. Yeah. And what we realized was, you know, we were eating, we were enjoying ourselves, but we were talking about real stuff. Yeah. And we decided that we would do it again in two weeks. And we would go to a different burger place. Mm -hmm. And for the next two years, every two weeks, this group of 10 guys who I was, you know, some of them were close friends, some of them I didn't know that well. By the end of this two year period, you know, we, we had been to over 50 different burger places. We had this great blog. We were getting free food everywhere we went. And we formed a men's group that was deep. You know, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, drinking beers and, and eating burgers, but, but we were talking about real stuff. And the next experiment from there was a couple of us were like, well, let's, let's extend this beyond the dinner table. How do we do this with more people? Well, let's fill the streets of New York. So let's start a bike club. That's mm -hmm. how Cyclones, uh, my bike club started. It was uh, 18 people who got together for a bike ride. A couple of people told their friends, you know, we took over the streets. We had a great ride. We told more people about it. Two weeks later, we had 30 people show up, right? By the end of that first summer, we had 
it was about five to six blocks of, of, of people wow. riding together. Wow. Same with MediClub. I already told that story. 20-person group meditation. Now we do it in arenas with Oprah. So, and, 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 you know, I was never doing this stuff before. If you remember at the start of the show, I couldn't speak in front of 10 people without feeling a sense of panic or not being able to sleep the night before. Mm. And now this is so much of what I do. So much of my, my purpose comes from leading and gathering. And, you know, I only share this as an example to make clear that anyone's capable of this. And this is part of why I love meditation so much. It allowed me to bring down those, those stressors and those anxieties that really kept me from this thing that has so much to do with who I am in the world. That's powerful stuff. And when we're able to bring practices like meditation or practices that cultivate the self into community, to me, it's the ultimate double whammy. So, of course, it started with a cheeseburger, and then I replaced cheeseburgers with meditation, something healthier. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when we're able to cultivate the self and cultivate the social, right? So for me, that's meditation and community. We have the ultimate one-two hit that allows us to really impact the world, that allows us to really feel our best. It, it, interesting, you know, when you say the two biggest things for me when it comes to health, community and meditation how that impacts your health, even if you're eating cheeseburgers every single week. Yeah. You know, I wonder, I wonder folks who eat cheeseburgers every two weeks who don't meditate <laughs> right. or don't go into communal conversation versus this sample, I wonder what your, your markers would look like. I wonder really how much, point. how powerful that community, community meditation is. Um, <laughs> so, I, but you highlight, I think one of the most important points here is that any viewer or listener can start their own community. Mm -hmm. And meditation gives you a place, even if you're nervous, if you go, oh, I'm introverted, man. I, this is not for me. Like, I can't talk in front of people and I'm certainly uh, not assertive. I can't start my own med Then med meditate, mm -hmm. get yourself in that place and understand that you have a big purpose. And you can start your own community in, your, in, your, in the middle of Kansas if you want. And it can be a really powerful place. I encourage everyone who's listening and viewing to see if you can start your community with like-minded people. Take that action. All it takes is a couple people to come together. A couple people. It doesn't have to be five blocks of people. It can be three, four people right. going out to dinner every week. Right. I love that. Jesse, man, you are doing incredible things in the world. We know this. I know you have a meditation course yeah. that has just launched. Tell us a little bit more about it and how we get access to it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I teach a meditation course virtually. It's on Zoom through The Big Quiet, which is my company. It's called The Big Quiet 101 Course. And it's three hour and 45 minute sessions, all taught live, three days in a row. And the idea with the course is to really have a sense of community because it's very participatory, it's very interactive, it's some people tune in from all over the world. But the idea is to have a sense of community and one, help people understand what stress does to the body. Two, help people understand what meditation does in repairing the body from stress and preventing future stressors. And then three, probably the most important part is, I teach people a meditation technique that's very easy, very effortless, but incredibly powerful. And by the time people leave this three session course, they are self-sufficient meditator for the rest of their lives. Wow. So you can practice in community, you can use apps if you like that, or you can do it totally on your own anytime, anywhere. The idea is allow people to be self-sufficient meditators so they don't have to rely on a teacher, so they don't have to rely on an app, mm -hmm. so they can do this thing on their own. And once people have completed the course, anyone that's graduated from our course has access to these special monthly and bi-monthly group meditations that we do just for people that have completed the course, where we check in with each other, we chat, we meditate, People will talk about the real things going on in their lives. I share um, 
different perspectives and wisdom around how to help people through those problems. And anyone that completes my course gets one-to-one support from me through uh, virtually through um, um, through a, me- a voice messaging app. Mm-hmm. So the idea is get people feeling really good about their own practice and then provide them with the community and the regular support so they can be meditators for life and really see the transformations that occur. So we offer it every single month. The way to learn about it is uh, is to go to thebigquiet.com and check out our meditation course or on Instagram at thebigquiet. You'll see in our bio, our link in our bio, that there's a way to sign up for the course. We do a free talk every month where I talk about it, where people can learn more. So check that out. People can also follow me. Uh, my Instagram is at Jesse Israel. My website's jesseisrael.com where I have a lot of information about my public speaking and a lot of the private work that I do. And um, would be great to connect with some of the listeners here and, and have you in this course. We offer different uh, pricing and, and, and ways to make it accessible. We never turn anyone down from the course. So Amazing. check it out. Amazing. So you're providing my two favorite interventions yeah. for health, meditation and community. That's it. So everybody who's watching, listening, and I'll put it up when, once the show comes out. I'll put it on Instagram too. But uh, but check out all of those resources. Go on the website and uh, sign up for the course and, and do it. I mean, you, you mean to tell me I do the course and the rest of my life I can sufficiently meditate myself? Yeah, you're golden. That's it. That's a, that's a golden course. That's a golden ticket right there, bro. <laughs> I appreciate you coming to the show, Jesse. Um, such important insights, such powerful words. Uh, and, and thank you for doing what you're doing in the world, man. Thank you so much, Doc G. An honor to be here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I knew Jesse would come in here and drop some bombs. And uh, it, it was just, I felt so aligned and present with understanding, and I hope you all did too, with understanding that meditation and community are everything for our health. Pay pay the closest attention to this stuff. Meditation, community, and you all can be community leaders, and you all could be doing meditation starting tomorrow. So um, thank you for joining. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing. I love you all. As always, we're blowing up this show, and I thank you for your precious, precious time, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.